Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Back Nine Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, <laughs> we cover anything and everything golf. If it happened in golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader, but this week is very special. And yeah, he, Fred is the one um, saying hi with the mask on. He'll tell us about it pretty soon. But anyway, this is a special week. The Back Nine Report turns seven, and it's the first time for the ones that are listening to us on Block Talk Radio that we are actually going live on video as well. So from now on, we hope to be doing that. And why would we do this only Fred and me? Because there's a, someone else that has been also a big part of this program for this past seven years, and that is the European golf guru, Kieran Clark. And he's joining us, Kieran, of course. How are you today? Well, here in the flesh, Carlos, and <laughs> it's an absolute joy to be with you and Fred face to face, so to speak, uh, for the first time. Obviously, a special anniversary for us in what is obviously an incredibly unique and um, unprecedented time uh, for us all. Um, so it's actually nice to come here tonight, uh, very early in the morning for me, obviously, at 1 a.m. It is right now, or just past it now. But to actually spend the time with you guys is uh, something I always appreciate, but I think more than ever before I do, because um, you know, here in the UK, we've had essentially a lockdown procedure uh, for the past two weeks. Um, so social interaction has been at a relative minimum, it's fair to say. But you know what? You know, my life, I've kind of been waiting my entire life for social isolation to become socially acceptable. So I'm more prepared than most uh, for it. But um, it's, it's a joy. So yes. Obviously, it should have been Masters Week. It's not, uh, but we have much to discuss tonight because, uh, you know, obviously so many events have been cancelled over recent weeks and a lot of uncertainty, much of the tour, obviously, in limbo, as indeed the world is. Uh, but I think we've seen a little bit a sign that perhaps there is light at the end of the tunnel. We have dates to look forward to later in the year. And that gives us a little bit of hope. And I think that's a, a really important thing to have, Carlos. Definitely. And we welcome that you are okay and you're staying safe there. Uh, and in this seventh year, you have been a great part of the show, but we'll talk a little bit about that in, in a short while. So let's say hello to Fred that I, I really want to know why he's wearing a mask. Fred, hi, how are you? And what well, the rumor is that Kieran had this virus and I didn't want to catch anything from it. We we're going to be on this call. I don't know. Does it go through the internet or anything? Can you get it through the computer? Well, uh, you know, obviously, Fred, I have heard of computer viruses, but I think that's a different thing. So, I mean, you might be confused by that, Fred, you know, being a gentleman of senior years. Um, so uh, I don't think the coronavirus can uh, transmit uh, transatlantically okay. through the airwaves. But well, Donald, uh, are, told me to, Donald told me to be wearing a mask. So, you know, and I go to the grocery store and half the people got masks on and, yeah. you know, ski masks and you go to Walmart and they look like they're ready to go scuba diving or something. I don't know. So. Well, it's, it's, it's better to be safe than sorry. And uh, you, you are correct. I, 
I'm recovering from a, a suspected case of the coronavirus, thankfully in a very mild form, uh, but it wasn't an especially pleasant experience. And uh, I would certainly urge anybody who, the vast majority of people, if they contract the virus, will indeed come through it relatively well. And that's absolutely true. There are, of course, some horrendous stories and those cannot be taken away and they're tragic and it is horrifying to watch the news and see what's happening around the world. But the vast majority of people will come through it in good fashion. But that said, it does take it out of you, uh, even if you're lucky like I have been. Um, and I would certainly say to anybody, respect this. Uh, you, don't, you don't want it. Uh, and you certainly don't want to get it and pass it on to somebody else. Uh, so it is a very serious thing. Um, but ultimately, most people will come through it, uh, thankfully. Uh, I'm certainly a case to, to prove that. Uh, but you know, the, the serious side of it is there too. Um, so we can't take, any, take that lightly. And I say I would encourage everybody to do whatever they can to stay safe and uh, protect their loved ones because, I mean, you don't know how this virus can react. I mean, it's, it's a huge spectrum. You have essentially people who have no symptoms whatsoever at one end to obviously catastrophic effects at the other end. So, uh, and there's really no, no one's immune from this. I mean, we're all facing this for the first time. Um, so, you know, again, it's, you know, we, we can joke about the masks and it is funny and we can, you know, we joke and laugh about it, but there is a serious side to it as well. And I would certainly encourage everybody to do whatever they think uh, is right to do. Because ultimately, I think if everybody went through their life right now, uh, assuming that they themselves had the virus and the, their actions were not to give it to anybody else, if we all had that mindset, then I think we would get through this situation uh, a lot quicker than what we would hopefully will do. So it's, um, yeah. Difficult, unprecedented times, um, but it's not an, an entirely negative situation. Obviously, there's a lot of fear out there, anxiety, and that's absolutely right and understandable. But um, if we all just be sensible, uh, look, out, look out for each other and not be selfish, uh, then hopefully, you know, the vast majority of us will come through this well. And again, we have better times to look forward to. And of course, the, the Masters, potentially in November, is one of those uh, light at the end of the tunnel moments that hopefully we'll get to experience later in the year. Well, and I know I speak for Carlos, we're really glad that you're feeling better and can be on here with us tonight because we always look forward to uh, chatting. And as Carlos mentioned, uh, this is a big anniversary for us. Um, you know, it should have been Masters week. Uh, the baseball season should have kicked off last week. Uh, last night should have been the NCAA championship basketball game. Uh, we missed all that stuff. So uh, this is a highlight. This is just like March Madness, right? Having Kieran on and, and, and talking about the non-Masters week. I mean, it's all it's all the same thing, right? So, um, you know, I'm up here in Michigan, and um, the courses are, are closed up here. And uh, while, uh, like Ohio and Indiana, some of the other states remain open, we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, uh, later. But I drove over to a golf course here nearby, about a mile from where I live here. And uh, it was closed, but I thought, I'll just go over to the side along the edge get my shags out, just hit a few wedges just to make sure I can still get the ball airborne a little bit. And I, I got about five or six balls uh, hit, and here comes a super screaming across the uh, screaming across the golf course on his mower. He roars up, he says, hey, he says, hey, you can't be out of here. He says, we got to, you know, we, we can't have anybody on the golf course whatsoever. And so what they're doing here in Michigan, they, they have a fine system, and one of the golf courses, they were going to stay open, uh, and pay the fine, and then the prosecutor came out and said, listen, buddy, uh, we're not going to worry about the fine. We're going to jerk your liquor license if you don't close. So here in Michigan, they're scaring them to death. They're, they're making sure they're closing up. So um, it's, it's quite a deal up here. Um, and it, as Kieran says, I mean, this is different all over. 
some people don't feel like they have any symptoms at all. Some people get really sick, and, and of course, there are some deaths. So uh, it, it's really unfortunate. It's unfortunate we can't really talk about the masses, which we are going to talk a little about a little bit, but we're not going to preview it until later this year. So we'll have to have you back for that, Karen, for sure. So um, I guess uh, for an opening, I guess that's about all I got, Carlos, and I'll uh, kind of turn it back over to you. All right. So um, let's start by, we, we're going to change a little bit the format in this uh, next few weeks while we get back to normal action. So what we're going to be really talking about some some topics. We're going to call them maybe the front seven, front eight, depending on how many topics we're going to have that week. Uh, but of course, we're going to start talking about the seventh anniversary of the show briefly on it. Uh, we've been, we started in April 9th of 2013. So in a couple of days, it will be actually uh, seven years old, the show. Uh, Fred, Kieran, and I started working, uh, well, we met while we were writing on Bleacher Report. Uh, we were writers. Time. I'm sorry? A long time ago. Oh, uh, yeah. In 2011, actually, uh, we started there. And uh, Fred invited Kieran and I to write for edraft.com, uh, which is this, it's a website that is mostly, well, right now they don't <laughs> write about golf at all. It's mostly about fantasy sports and uh, all the fantasy bets and all that. So eDraft started what we started on the, the Backland Report presented by eDraft.com. That was the way of them having their writers starting to do some, uh, some, blog, some blogs on the radio. <clears throat> and uh, we started the one for, for golf. On the, on the eve, not eve, the Tuesday before the Open Championship, we brought in for the first time the European golf guru, Kieran Clark, because of course, who better than him to talk about the Open and the, the big knowledge that he has. The kind of like giving the thing. women the vote, a bigger mistake has never been made, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hope your wife is still not there, Fred. That's, that's a terrible thing to say. Outrageous. So anyway, that year, uh, he started to be part of the show and his, the, the rest is history. Every time that uh, there's a major, there's a big event or either Fred or I are not here on the show, Kieran comes in and upgrades the show because, uh, I mean, him and Brendel Chambly bring things up just the same way. That's what he does whenever he's on the show here. Oh, that's a comparison. Oh, I'm not sure about that one. Oh, well, I suppose the hair is quite similar, actually. You know, the hair is not bad. Yeah, so. guys, you'll see, listeners and now viewers, you will you will see what I'm saying. Yeah, just give it a little while. But anyway, ever since well, we've been sharing for the past seven years, it's been a pleasure to be with you guys. Anytime that we have done the show, we have a lot of fun. If I'm not in. Uh, I have to travel or do something. I, I, I certainly listen to it or I'm like, what is happening right now? It's The show is on. Okay, it's, 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 it's happening. It's okay. So it's like part of my life now to be every Tuesday uh, making sure that it's working. So uh, Fred, how, I'm going to bring you in first on this one. What's your experience the past seven years on the show? Well, it's always a blast for me. Um, yeah, I've said this before. I always have so much fun. And um you know, earlier this year, Carlos and I had a chance to meet face to face for the first time in 11 or 12 years uh, that we've been going back and forth uh, over the internet. 
and uh, we talk every week uh, for 50 weeks a year, and we had never met up until uh, February of this year. So that was that was pretty cool. We got to do that. Kieran, we, we got to get you over here someday, or we got to get over there or something. One of these You're days. coming here. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, you know, from doing a show, it, it's, it's always fun to, to me, and we, we kind of put our unique spin on it and uh, bring our ideas uh, to the show a little bit, and hopefully that's what our listeners enjoy. But to me, it's always been, uh, I've always been, been impressed with the amazing people that we've been able to get on and come and talk to us. Uh, Hall of Famers like Jan Stevens and Carol Mann, Annika Sormstam, uh, Julie Inkster, Laura Davies, Jack Nicholas, Nick Fowler, Greg Norman, Davis, up on and on and on. And it's, it's always been so great to, to get one-on-one with those people and talk to them and have them on the show. Um, so that's, to me, that's always a blast. Other than just the fact of coming on every week and looking forward to talking with you guys and, uh, and breaking down the news and, and the tournaments and what's going on in the world of golf. How about you, Karen? Yeah, well, you, you chronicled uh, the story there, Carlos, of the show and how it began. And I think when, I, when you first started the show uh, for the Masters that year in 2013, I was, of course, neglected. I was not on the show for those first few months of that year. And I think I spent weeks, essentially, just uh, live tweeting the show, uh, almost begging to come on. Uh, because, you know, as you know, one thing about me, you know, I do like to talk and to share my thoughts. And I, was, I felt constrained by not being on the show. Um, so I was delighted when the chance came. Uh, as you say, my first show was ahead of the Open that year. And, you know, I've enjoyed being part of it all this time. And it's, again, it's part of my routine. You know, I know when a major's coming or the Ryder Cup is coming up, I'm going to be spending Tuesday evening or Wednesday morning, really, with Carlos and Fred and, you know, and building a rapport uh, with you guys over the past seven years has been fantastic. And for anyone you're watching or listening, you know, the professionalism uh, and the dedication that you and Fred, Carlos, you you bring to this show has kept it going all this time. And and that's a tremendous credit to both of you. You know, I admire the, you know, I wouldn't have the stamina uh, to do it every week, uh, year on year, as you do. It's fantastic. And, um, you know, it's meant a lot to me this show through the years. You know, I was, I was 21 years old when I first appeared in the show, and I have no doubt if it wasn't for the platform and the motivation of being involved in the show, then I wouldn't be earning a living from working in the golf industry today. Um, so I'm always grateful for that. So you know, I love it, and of course, I hope to be here again with you guys uh, when golf returns properly uh, later this year, and that we do this for many more seasons to come. Uh, but for the past seven years, it has been a joy. Uh, to get to know you guys on this and I think we've had some great uh, laughs and great times on it and hopefully we've brought some entertainment uh, to the audience and hopefully some uh, reasonable reasonable golf knowledge uh, and uh, I say it's, it's been a joy and again at this moment in time obviously now given the, the worldwide scenario we're all in international crisis we face today uh, we're all I think quite reflective uh, and we appreciate things perhaps more than we ever will before we'll appreciate the the seemingly mundane and normal, unlike ever before, once it's all passes. Uh, but this show has been something I've appreciated uh, for seven years, and uh, I certainly appreciate uh, being here tonight. Um, so, no, it's, it's always been a pleasure, and I hope it continues for many more years to come. I second hey, Carlos, that. If I, if, I could, if I could add real quick, um, and you, when you were talking about the history of the show, when we first started, uh, you were still in Puerto Rico. Uh, I was in Toledo, and our producer at that time sat in San Francisco. 
So we had to coordinate all those time zones uh, mm. to get everybody together uh, when we first started doing it. And then when we took it over, you were still in Puerto Rico. I was in Toledo. And then we had Kieran coming in from Scotland at, uh, at one in the morning or two in the morning, whatever his time is. And, uh, and so by doing this all through technology and over the Internet, it's amazing that we've been able to pull this all together and now taking another step and doing it here live on Zoom with the, with the uh, video as well as the audio. Uh, I just think it's so cool. So, Carlos, back to you. All right. So, uh, I think that covers a little bit of the history for all of you who didn't know about how we got started seven years ago here. But, of course, before that, we met through the technology and we've done it. Yeah, this is the first time that we all three are seeing each other for the first time. So, <laughs> I think we got a glimpse of Kieran once in Skype, but it was like gone and, and that's it. But anyway, uh, we appreciate you, Kieran, coming here and being with us. We always have a blast. So uh, let's start right away and get moving to the next topic, which really we weekly we try to talk briefly about what the, the virus has done in the uh, world of sports, especially in golf. But this week, we want to know your perspective. What is going on on the other side right now? How is it affecting golf because uh, Fred already, and we're going to talk about the, the golf courses, whether they should be closed or not in a little while, but uh, we really don't know firsthand how is it going there. We already hear about the very bad situation in, in Italy, in Spain. Uh, we know that Boris Johnson was in ICU uh, there in the UK. So, you know, how, how is it affecting the people and especially in golf there in the, the UK and in Europe? Well, the golf industry has essentially shut down in its entirety across the UK. And, you know, four weeks ago, uh, I was on the show with Fred that night uh, previewing the Players' Championship. And at that point, you know, the coronavirus, COVID-19, was already casting a, a dark shadow over the event. We could sense something was going to happen. It was coming. It was going to hit golf hard and everything. And at that point, uh, as we were doing that show a month ago, uh, as you touched on there, Carlos, Italy and Spain had already been hit especially hard, um, you know, devastating scenes, uh, particularly in northern Italy and, and around Madrid and Spain, horrendous. Uh, but from that point on, that Tuesday, that week, we saw the first round of the Players' Championship obviously from Sawgrass and then that was it. And the acceleration from there was astonishing, unlike anything I've ever seen. Uh, we saw a shutdown across sports over a series of two or three days. Everything you could imagine was cancelled or postponed. Um, and it really was overwhelming. Uh, to keep up uh, with the enormity of what was happening uh, around us, um, and particularly in the UK. So around that point, uh, we saw social distancing measures uh, were quickly introduced uh, in the UK. So then we saw schools and universities closed. Um, and then before, really, the, the full lockdown was instigated just over two weeks ago, so two Mondays ago. Uh, we're now in the third week of that lockdown. Uh, so that effectively means you are allowed to leave your house uh, for essential reasons only whether that be for, for food shopping, for groceries, or for medical purposes, and also for one routine exercise, which is done either in isolation by yourself or with those in your household, no one else. You can't meet anyone that you know out with those that you live with. Uh, and consequently, as no surprise, golf courses in the British Isles have been closed since then in their entirety. Nobody's playing golf. Those who are, and there have been cases of this, uh, people being spotted on golf courses, is they're doing it against the regulations. So greenkeepers are still permitted to work on courses 
but only for routine maintenance. Uh, that's more or less just cutting the grass three times a week, uh, very routine. Um, so golf courses are completely shut, the industry is shut down, there's no golf travel, there's no rounds being played whatsoever. And of course, tour golf, as we all know, across the vast majority of levels uh, has been stopped in its entirety. And as you touched on there, Carlos said, uh, the British Prime Minister, uh, Boris Johnson, he is presently in ICU and intensive care in hospital in London, uh, which of course I think just hits home uh, the severity or potential severity of this virus and it can affect anyone, uh, you know, even those at, at the top level and, and in an extremely devastating manner. So obviously we all hope that he recovers from the, the situation he finds himself in, but it's certainly a very sobering time for everybody um, all over the world. And it has been in, the, in, in Britain over the past couple of weeks in particular. You know, we're seeing obviously all the numbers every day that you see that are, that are read out about number of cases, number of you know, deaths and so on associated with that. So it's difficult not to feel overwhelmed by that. And you have to step back a little bit, I think, and, and try and don't focus on that all the time. If you did, then you'd be overwhelmed by it entirely. Um, as I say, it, it's a very difficult time. We don't know how long it's going to last for the current situation of, of lockdown. And I know there's certain parts of the US that have also had very similar measures in place as well. So it remains to be seen. We're learning all the time about this virus. In the end, it's a once in a lifetime event, or so we hope. Uh, we've seen anything of the severity and we desperately hope that the, the actions taken have you know, you know, been beneficial in the end. I mean, yes, there's been a devastating effect on the economy, and of course, society, people can't see their relatives and their friends and their families, and that's obviously a very difficult thing to handle. But if that, those measures do ultimately save lives, then it was worth it. Um, but certainly the, the long-term ramifications of this will probably span for a few years all across the world. And your things might change permanently. Uh, again, there's a whole host of questions to be answered just beyond the golf world. But as someone who works in the golf industry in the UK, it's been a very strange time. You know, at this point, the Masters every year is kind of the beginning of the golf season in the UK. Spring is here. Uh, spring, you know, summertime is here as well in terms of the, the clocks. So we have more daylight. Uh, this tends to be when golf memberships kick in at the beginning of April. So at this point, we should have a new season. The Masters should be on television. It should be absolutely buzzing and vibrant. And the weather has been fantastic. It's ironic, but... As I say, it's quite surreal that everything is in shutdown mode. And I say, you know, it will, it will last as long as it has to last. And ultimately, the most important thing is ensuring that, that the, you know, people you know, get through this, that we reduce the number of infections, reduce the number of lives that are lost and families that are damaged. That is more important than anything else than playing golf or watching golf. That's an insignificant thing in reality. Everything's been put into perspective by this virus and it's changed our whole outlook. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult time for all of us, I think. Um, but if everybody just you know, is sensible, follows the regulations, looks out for each other, then I think we'll also see the best of people. And there've been many stories that have been, have been so encouraging about the dedication and the, the volunteering and just some of, the, some of the, the really heartfelt measures that people have done. And it, it's nice to focus on the positive side of that and seeing human beings at their best in a crisis. A crisis that ultimately I think none of us can really relate to in terms of anything else that's happened in our lifetimes. I mean we're going back probably to the Second World War 
there's really anything like this uh, in in the UK and, and the US and across Europe. But of course, I mean, it's um, it is unprecedented. But uh, we're learning all the time. But again, we will get through it. And that's the thing to remember is that one day normality will return. Golf will be back. Tournament golf will be back on television. Life will return to as it was. Uh, but I think we will probably be somewhat changed by what we've been through uh, during these past few weeks and potentially a few months. So, yeah, it's a uh, interesting time. I say I've had my brush uh, most likely with the coronavirus. I've been, I haven't been tested for it as they're only testing people who are ill enough to go to hospital. Thankfully, I was not in that position. But the, the timeline, the chain of events and the key symptoms I experienced uh, pointed to that being most likely the case. So I'm grateful for having hopefully got through that and being here talking to you guys tonight. And I say it's, um, yeah, it's a sobering time one, and an anxious time. But um, hopefully tonight we provide a, a distraction for ourselves, but also for those that are listening, because there's obviously some golf, even even in this, this these dark times, there's some golf to discuss. And uh, the beauty of Augusta National sitting behind you guys and those images that you've so wonderfully expertly composed in, your, in the backdrop there, um, they add to a little bit of color, uh, which you all need right now. And uh, we're glad that you're okay among all those issues that are, it's not only Europe, but I mean, it's the whole world. And like, like you said, this is a serious stuff that we have to take uh, care of and we'll get through it definitely. And uh, we're gonna talk about the changes in the golf uh, landscape pretty soon. So that's up next, but Fred, mm -hmm. anything you want to add to what Kieran is saying there uh, in Europe or here? Well, uh, we've just got a notice uh, over the last couple of days, actually, that the Masters did pick a date uh, clear out in November, November 12th through the 15th. Uh, the Ryder Cup is still scheduled for September 25th through the 27th. The U.S. Open now is scheduled the 17th through the 20th of September, uh, really the week before um, the, um, the Ryder Cup. It's still to be held at Wingfoot in New York. And then they have the uh, U.S. PGA Championship uh, scheduled for the early August, which is 6th through 9th. Hopefully, we are going to get going before that. Um, the, um, the governor here in Michigan just extended the, um, the close down, the lockdown until uh, the quarantine and self-quarantining until um, middle of May. So that's going to wipe out the uh, Rocket Mortgage Classic in Detroit. Um, also, if that's going to be the case, the next week was going to be the memorial, so that's probably going to go. There's no, been no announcement on that yet, but um, I think they're trying to shoot now for like a June start maybe or a mid-June start uh, for regular tour events. Um, there's all kinds of things around that. I can talk more about that later, but also I just want to mention that um, just today, the uh, the Augusta National announced that the field is locked in. Uh, they will not take any more players. They added four more players today um, that were in the top 50 when on the world golf ranking when it was frozen on March 17th. And that was um, uh, Colin Morikawa, Scotty Scheffler, uh, Christian uh, Bezenhut, and uh, Graham McDowell were all added. That brought the field up to 96. And I think that's uh, about the seven or eight more than were in the field last year. Um, but um, so it's set 
no matter what anybody does in the majors, these majors are going to be played or wins tournaments. They're not going to be added. The field is set for November for the Masters, guys. So since you got already into the next topic that we were going to talk about. <laughs> Sorry. Then, uh, he can't help himself. He's too yeah, keen. Yeah, that's, uh, he's yeah. too excited. It's part of uh, we'll, we'll We'll get to it. We'll get through it together. You'll see. But anyway, uh, yeah, the, the main topic right now is about the rescheduling of the majors, basically. The Grand Slam, uh, the Grand Slam landscape has been dramatically uprooted by the coronavirus pandemic. And golf's majors championship bodies announced a schedule uh, makeover yesterday, basically. Uh, the Open Championship became the first major to be canceled since 1945. The RNA announcing plans to play the 149th championship at Royal St. George's next year and the 150th edition then will be in St. Andrews the year after. That's uh, 2022. Uh, that was announced yesterday that the Open has been canceled, marking the first championship cancellation since 1945. I mean, the RNA chief executive uh, Martin Slumbers said they, they, they assure everyone that they tried and explore every possible option to reschedule it. But if you come to think about it, all the different shuffling that has been done around, there was no space for it, definitely, specifically where it's gonna be played. Because if you think there's bad weather, and Kieran, you're gonna be the first one I'm gonna ask about this. <laughs> if you think there was gonna be bad weather now in the summer, imagine how is it gonna be later on in the year. So. Uh, we already know that the schedule is still very much a work in progress. Officials from Augusta National, the USGA, the PGA of America, they announced in a joint statement yesterday, like Fred mentioned, the Masters will be played November 12th through the 15th. The PGA Championship will be held August 6th through the 9th at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. That's where it was originally scheduled to be played, so it stays there. And the US Open will be relocated to September 18th to the 21st, but it will remain at Wingfoot uh, there in New York. So you, we all know that the New York area has become the epicenter of the outbreak here in the States. Some have even suggested, hey, you, you gotta go for an alternative venue. It might be necessary, but the USGA definitely remains committed to Wingfoot. Uh, but the timing of the US Open is particularly noteworthy as it will be played the week before the Ryder Cup. The Ryder Cup is gonna be played, of course, in Whiffling Straits in Wisconsin. So that's very interesting. We still don't know if the Ryder Cup uh, is gonna change eventually, but for now, the timing is US Open and then the Ryder Cup. So that's very interesting that it's gonna happen. At least there's not gonna be a lot of traveling involved. This is gonna be from New York to Wisconsin but still two big tournaments back to back. That's going to be very interesting. So Kieran, this also will be the first time that the Masters will be played outside of April since the tournament was uh, first held in 1934 in March. So what's your take on all this reshuffling on the, on the majors? And of course, the Open, wow, what a big change on that one. Yeah, I mean, ultimately none of this is set in stone. I mean, not I think it was very important that the governing bodies came together and released a joint statement, uh, gave us some something tangible to hold on to, that golf will return later in the year. 
rather than just this state of unknown that we were in you know, for several weeks there, ever since the Players' Championship. Um, but of course, it all depends on what happens over the next few months, you know, whether the virus disappears, whether it's under control. Ultimately, it will be the government and state government that really determines whether these events can go ahead later in the year. But it is nice to have something there we can look forward to. Uh, and, you know, the, the Open Championship being, you know, it's funny, you know, the, the word of it is being cancelled. You know, technically it has been postponed. You know, it's still going to happen. The 149th Open will still happen at Royal St. George's, just a year further down the line. And I think that was the right thing to do because, for several reasons, you touched on the weather aspect and potentially in September, October time. That's one part of it. But also, I think the infrastructure of the championship is huge. And at this time of year, around April time, they would really be accelerating the process to get ready for July in terms of building the grandstands and building all the hospitality pavilions and everything else that goes with uh, the Open Championship. And the Open, really, these days, in terms of the infrastructure, it's beyond any other event in golf. I mean, it's become huge. When you go to an Open venue nowadays, it's just unbelievable. Even compared to five or ten years ago, it's just it's become a massive event. And to really set all that up would take four or five months and logistically that's not even possible for July and even for September you'd have to start the work for that potentially next month in May or even in early June at, at best and if in terms of the lockdown proceedings in the UK you know, key workers are not considered to be the builders and the workers who would be assembling grandstands for a golf tournament so for their safety uh, and all the officials involved with that and setting up the championship uh, there really was no way for it to proceed this year unless you start pushing it further into the winter and then it becomes you know, impossible because of the size of the field and daylight hours etc so i think they actually made the right decision in terms of just saying definitively that is it we'll come back next year and of course moving uh, the open championship at st andrews back a year as well they're quite obsessed with the 150th uh, edition they love their milestones the rna they love their anniversaries i guess we do too of course celebrating one tonight but um they really do so having that there in 2022 is obviously set in stone as well. Of course, it raises questions about the Opens beyond that. Uh, that year, it was set to go back to Royal Liverpool. Will that now change to potentially another year? It was going back to Royal Troon uh, to mark a centenary there in 23. So there's those are still up in there as to whether they will go ahead as expected. But um, in terms of what the Open did, they've made a decision that we can deal with and move on from. The other majors, again, this is all provisional. I mean, who knows what will happen later in the year, um, whether, they, whether they still will go ahead. And your friends touched on there in terms of the overall schedule. We we're seeing events. Uh, they, they, they are unlikely to begin until at least June across any of the tours. That might even be optimistic. It, it depends on, on obviously how things play out. But another complication for, for the Open Championship, and I'm going to, if you ask me about this, let me well, Carlos, about uh, the European tour specifically, this will be a problem for them. In terms of international travel, you know, everybody's in the US playing all the majors and the Ryder Cup over there. And most of the top players are based in the US anyway. So there's not international travel required. Whereas if you have an open championship, it is the most international event. The field comprised of players from all over the world, bringing all them to the UK, to southeast of England, not far from London. Uh, it just seems impossible. So they already made the right decision there. On the Masters, I think obviously this week, it should have been the Masters week. In November, that brings questions as well. Uh, you know, in Augusta, there's a colder climate there. At, this, at that time of year, it's wetter. So presumably the course will play longer than what it usually does. But also crucially, there is significantly less daylight 
than what you see now. And you look at the, the field, as Fred mentioned, is confirmed at 96 players. It'll be very difficult to get that, that field around that course. You know, we're going to see almost certainly split tees at Augusta for the entire tournament, which would be a first. So there, there's, there's many questions around this. And also, with the Ryder Cup, where do we stand in terms of qualification? You know, players aren't playing events on the PGA Tour or the European Tour. No one is earning qualifying points. So who's going to be on the team? Will they just take the rankings as they are now? Or will potentially we see how it plays out in the summer? Or could we see both captains actually literally handpicking both teams of 12 players? Um, that remains up in the air as well. Will the Ryder Cup even go ahead, depending on how the rest of the schedule plays out? It seems to me that it's actually the easiest event to move. It's happened before. We remember back in 2001, the Ryder Cup was moved uh, due to 9-11. It's 2002. And they kept that sequence in place from there. So the Ryder Cup has moved before when faced with extraordinary circumstances. But for now, they seem determined to play it as it is. But of course, money drives a great deal of all this. And the Ryder Cup is obviously a massively lucrative event for everyone concerned. And they desperately want that on the calendar with the huge crowds that are expected for that. So uh, on the European Tour, I'll just quickly mention that. And the European Tour is the one tour that hasn't had any definitive date whatsoever. They have come out and said that they're going to really see how it plays out and work from there. But the problem the European Tour has, of course, is how do you fit in their circuit with what the PGA Tour are doing? But if it goes ahead with the majors in, the, in August onwards, and then the FedEx Cup, and then the Ryder Cup, there's no space, no space for the European Tour. If the Masters is in November, where do you play the, the Rolex Series, the Race to Dubai finale? Where do you play the World Tour Championship? All this stuff. Um, I think there's a very real possibility that because of the international ramifications, international travel, the European Tour, of course, covers all corners of the globe, practically. Uh, and that brings with it added complications when you're faced with an international pandemic. I think there's a very real possibility, and this is just from my perspective. I have no inside knowledge on this whatsoever, but from my own view looking at it, I think you could quite conceivably see the European Tour season just scrapped entirely. There will not be another European Tour event this year or Challenge Tour event. They will just resume the season next season, start it again. They'll just carry over the cards and the qualifiers and, the, and who's on tour and just start again next year uh, because hopefully this is a once-in-a-generation, once-in-a-lifetime situation. And I think we have to be open to the possibility that you know golf in its entirety may not come back this year. Hopefully the majors do it, as we've seen outlined here. But, you know, it's all up in there. We don't know for sure. It's nice to have that hope there. Again, but we'll have to wait and see how the year plays out. We don't know. No one knows. And that's uh, the frustrating aspect of it. If we had a definitive date, we could just we could live with that, focus on it. But we don't have that. But I think there's a real possibility, Carlos, that uh, we may not see uh, European Tour Golf return in 2020, which, of course, would be devastating to all the players and, of course, the Tour itself. But I think given the situation, given the, the new schedule outlined, I just see it. It seems very hard for me to, to imagine where you can fit any sort of uh, constructive circuit in there, uh, given the time that would be left and given the, the extent of the pandemic across Europe and the Middle East and Asia. So, yeah, it's um, difficult times, but hopefully we'll be sitting here in November talking about the Masters. That's something that we can all hold on to and it'd be, uh, it'd be different, it'd be unique. And you know what? I would love to see it. So let's hope uh, in November time we have a, a fall, early winter uh, trip down Magnolia Lane, but of course another one coming up just five months later so two masters in five months you know there you go that's a positive thing to hold on to yeah those trees may not have any leaves by by then <laughs> i don't know what's going to happen but uh like you mentioned everything is uh speculation right now that's what 
the plan is is just to have the tournaments during those dates. Now, again, you mentioned a very important point. Uh, it would be very bad but feasible to think that the European Tour says, okay, let's shut down and let's just start the new season because of all the new different uh, reschedulings that are happening right now. But if they do that, I think then they have to obviously move the Ryder Cup. But there's a problem for next year, which is the Olympics. So far, they're going to be next year. So this schedule also for next year is still on the air for both tours because all of this rescheduling, postpo uh, postponing tournaments, there's going to be a lot of movement going on. Uh, I, I do not want to be in the shoes of the of the people in operations on all the tours because definitely this is a big headache trying to get trying to get with the sponsors, with the TV, because now and when the fall comes, football is supposed to be on. At least that's the plan, right? The NFL is going to be here in the States on. So the competition for the for the TV time, there's no TV time for, for golf. So it's going to be very, very difficult. Uh, Fred, what's your take on all this move, uh, what Kieran uh, is saying as well? Yeah, just a couple of things. Um, they're just trying to get these things in. Uh, and as, as Kieran alluded to, there's such big money makers, especially the Ryder Cup, uh, the PGA, the U.S. Open for the uh, for the USGA. Uh, th these are big, big money deals for these for these uh, associations. And they don't want to lose that money. I, I don't I, I can't see how they can be as big as they would have been in their normal time slot. But I'm sure there's still going to be a, a big deal. And the Ryder Cup, uh, of course, is gigantic as far as monetary wise but uh, um yeah i november for the masters that doesn't really excite me um but you make a good point too carlos that in in curious you know travel in europe is just i mean you just can't do it right now because of all the problems in italy and some of the countries you can't be going country to country over there um so that's one problem but then the next thing is that um to, to get these things scheduled and get them worked in and get them into the TV slots. Where is all this TV time going to come from? Uh, as you guys both know here, football just takes over. Uh, and anytime they can slip a football game in, they're going to do it. So golf may be, get pushed to the Golf Channel. It may be, get pushed to TNT or some of the other uh, live streaming uh, uh, programming or something like that where it's not necessarily on the, the main network a channel. Uh, I can see that happening. And then just to make another comment too, um, you know, they're talking about, well, I mean, the LPGA has closed more events as well, uh, shut them down, but they're talking about maybe holding two events the same week on the same course. So instead of having a, uh, uh, like for here, like the Meyer Classic in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the Maryland Classic in Toledo, Ohio, they'll have them, let's say, both at Toledo uh, with uh, 130 or 140 player field. And instead of playing for 1.8 million that they would have been playing for one week, they'll play for 3.6 million and maybe they'll pay more places. Um, they may maybe keep the top prize at around. Two hundred fifty or three hundred thousand dollars or four hundred thousand or something like that, but pay more places on down, uh, so that at least the ladies have a chance of making some money. So it's just not 
getting these things scheduled as a major, it's the travel that goes into it. It's the TV time that, that has to be scheduled. And they're trying to get this done so that these people who make their living playing golf can make a little money at this year. Yeah, and since you mentioned that about the LPGA, let, let's talk about also uh, another piece of news that we have uh, to talk about. And I think it, it works its way right now into what we're talking about. And it's that the fields, according to a report by Golf Channel's Rex Hogarth, he's saying that the PGA Tour will be expanding the field size at tournaments upon returning it to action later this year. That report is citing a tour memo that was sent to the players. That, that, that memo said that the Charles Schwab Challenge, Charles Schwab Cup, uh, Charles Schwab Challenge. Colonial, the, that's what it is. It's always uh, colonial to me. Yeah. <laughs> and the Memorial Tournament will be expanded from 120 to 144 players. So it's going to be a, a full-size field. Now, those larger field sizes in other tournaments are <laughs> also under consideration. And the tour is looking at the possibility of more opposite field tournaments. Why? you ask well because the desire to create more playing opportunities for the tour members in this abbreviated season uh it's it's necessary you have to try to to get them to play to earn some some money and uh if if it would happen like hearing saying that the european tour would shut down that would pre that would really present some more opportunities for those players that are on that side of the pond to come here to play and have somewhere to to win some And of course, with that change, uh, there's something I don't like, and uh, I have to say it, you know, uh, that new pace of play policy, which was set to take effect uh, later this month at the since cancel RBC Heritage, <sighs> will be postponed till next season. <laughs> so, uh, uh, well, slow players again, we'll have one more year to play. So, Karen, how about that expanding the... the the fields to a larger full size for some of those tournaments, including the Charles Schwab Challenge and the Memorial Tournament, there's uh, the possibility that other tournaments that are 120 or less will be expanded as well. And those opposite field uh, events as well to try to have more, uh, to give more chances. What's your take on that? Well, you know, with the, the events like the Colonial, like uh, the Memorial, the, um, the Arnold Palmer Invitational, the Genesis Open, the Riviera, they are designated invitational events on the PGA Tour, which have a more limited field than the other events on the Tour. And that's always been quite controversial because you know, there are guys who have earned their card, they deserve to get their card, and they can't get into these events. And that places a greater difficulty on them actually retaining their card for next season. So you almost create a two-tiered Tour where the guys who are already established get to play in all the events, and that maintains their status. Whereas the guys who are trying to emerge in the game, it's harder for them to actually break in. And I think the events having those reduced fields yeah, contributed to that even more. So I think it's, it's to be welcomed. It's obviously, it's a, it's a very difficult thing. I mean, when you look at the, the PGA Tour season, of course, it goes back now to November time. It's been going on for ages, the wraparound seasons we have these days. But I think at the same time, it's very, it seems a little bit harsh, depending on how, how quickly golf resumes. For players, you know, is it fair to judge where guys are in the FedEx Cup ranking for this season? You know, do the guys who finish, you know, out with the top 120, are they going to get cut out entirely for next season, go back to the web.com finals? And then the players on the web.com tour, what are their opportunities to get onto the PGA Tour for next year? 
Um, so there's questions to do with, with qualifying and tour cards and you know the, the tiered system on the tours, who, who's going to progress, who's going to regress. So I, there's so many uncertain questions right now with this. And ultimately, it's uncertain because we don't really know when it's going to resume. Uh, until we have some sort of definitive date, and then we're just guessing. And the tours are just guessing, as you touched on earlier, Carlos. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, unbelievable situation for all the tour bosses to deal with right now. There's, there's no certainty. And these guys thrive on certainty. You need to have that to plan things. All the, as Fred touched on, TV schedule, et cetera, all this stuff is linked in together. Uh, and until we have certainty, it's all we're just guessing. And, but I do think in theory, having the bigger field size makes sense. And I think it's something that will probably happen for the rest of this season. Who knows? Obviously, you touched on, obviously, the, the pace of play and they were reducing the fields for that reason. But I think you know, unprecedented times require just drastic actions. And I think this whole scenario, I mean, we have to... The tours are trying to achieve normality as much as they can in a completely abnormal situation. And that in itself almost seems counterproductive because it isn't normal. You can't have a normal tour schedule. You don't know when a tour is going to resume. So right now they're just putting things in place, having little carrots out there for the players to hold on to, but there's no certainty. And I say, I'm not even convinced. I mean, I almost think the PGA Championship in August is a fanciful idea. This could potentially go on through the summer uh, and quite possible. We just don't know. Um, so it's all up in the air. But I do think in theory, having you know, greater opportunities for the players is deserved and fitting. The players need to have these opportunities of earned them. Um, you either give them those chances or you just can't cancel the season. You can't have one or the other. So uh, we're not at that stage yet. I think we're close to that stage in Europe, uh, but in the US and the PGA Tour, we're not there yet. But I uh, say it just, we could see events moved. We could see different venues utilised. I say this will be different across different states. As Fred touched on earlier, you know, different states have different regulations in place now. They're at different stages of the pandemic. New York, obviously, more advanced than anywhere else. So it's... Again, it's all uncertain. We're really talking about things that it's, it's very difficult to discuss because we just don't know. But I, yeah, I think in reality, I can understand why the tour are doing it, why they'd have more events played in concurrent weeks, giving players opportunities. But you know, whatever happens, there will always be a little asterisk next to this season, a little marker on the season. The 1920 season will go down in history for just being you know, decimated by the coronavirus pandemic, as all sporting events have been. You know, every event, every sport, every season has been affected by this. And, you know, there are obviously bigger concerns than what happens on the PGA Tour. But for the people on the PGA Tour, the tour itself or its sponsors, and, and also the charities that rely on the events going ahead, there's so many, so many unanswered questions. It's a worrying time for all of them. So until we know, until the virus is under control, we can't really proceed with anything. And that's ultimately why... Yeah, this is the get on my my kind of my, my view here of whatever you're being told by your your state governor, by the local authorities, by the health service, you'll follow it because the sooner we all follow the regulations, the sooner normality can resume, and and that is a message for everybody here. And as I say, Carlos, it's a very difficult thing to discuss because we just don't know, and that's kind of the uncertainty of it all. Um, we can just, we can we can just hope that we have something approaching a constructive schedule, but I just think it is unlikely at this point. Um, and I think there'll be a lot of players at the end of this season who will feel a little bit hard done by, by circumstances. But in the end, there's no, there's no, there's no right answer here. 
and I think everything you can criticise people's decision making, what's been done, what's been thought about, but in reality, we're dealing with something that professional sport has never really dealt with before, and it's hard to critique because there is no right or wrong answer. Everyone's just, you know, winging it really, and we all are, as I certainly am talking here right now. But um, yeah, it's. Difficult times, but um, yeah, I, I do think the PGA Tour needs to provide its lower-ranked players with opportunities. Otherwise, it, it seems unfair, and I could see a scenario where the ramifications of this season will go into the season beyond this and potentially beyond that. This could take two or three years to get back to the Tour as we know it now in terms of the rankings, in terms of the players who have cards, uh, etc. So it's, um, I think we're... We're, we're, wanting, we're kind of looking at this the wrong way. I think it's everyone's looking at a short-term solution for what's happening, and there isn't one. You know, there will be steps that can be done in the short term, but I think there needs to be a almost a two-year plan at least for all the tours to get back to normal and to fit everything in, uh, because it's the only way they can. Because right now we're we're seeing the tour schedule packed as it is, and now we're essentially seeing at least a third of the year just gone like that at the height of the season. So it's. Um, it will take potentially a couple of years at least uh, to fully get back to some semblance of normality. Yeah, no, I agree. And especially let's, let's put it like what you're saying. Let's take, for example, the rankings. The rankings is uh, two years running. Now you're putting in pause, basically. They're paused. They're, they're not being uh, calculated. But anyway, when they resume again, all those tournaments that were being played during the two, last two years, how they're going to actually be calculating all that? Because there's going to have to be somehow for them to, to reverse and try to see, okay, this tournament is now played in this week, and that week he was supposed to be playing last year the same tournament and two years ago. So you either gain or lose points according to that tournament. That is not going to happen anymore. So like you're saying, it's going to take maybe a couple of years for actually everything balancing out. Right now, again, this is all a mess. We cannot see how we can sort it out. Fred, uh, I see Kieran's uh, point. Uh, he makes a, a great sense on that. And uh, But what's your take also on that and, and expanding the fields? I actually think also you have to give the players a way to restart their playing form. They cannot just go right now and start playing because they're not practicing. Uh, golf courses are closed, so they need to actually start to get some reps in and start to go play tournaments before, I mean, get those reps in before actually getting to play the tournaments. I would think, I would think they'd want to play a couple times, a couple of events before they get into one of these majors, I would think. I know that would be the ideal. Whether that's going to happen or not, like Kieran said, it's, it's up in the air. Um, one of the things we do know, well, you talk about the expanded fields too. I, I, I agree with that, but you're going to run into a daylight situation. Even, even uh, with mm. midsummer, you know, the, the time starts changing again after June 21st, and we're going to be lucky to get many tournaments in before that, if, if any at all. So when we get past June 21st, the days start getting shorter again. And when we get into, um, you know, a little bit later in August into September, the daylight's just not there for a 140-man field. It, it just isn't going to happen, especially in the northern part of the United States. 
So, and then one other thing we do know, we, we talk about a lot of things that we're guessing at and, you know, what we think might happen. One of the things we do know is that the LPGA, who's only played really two events this year, uh, those ladies are really hurting uh, for any kind of monetary income at all. Um, they, they just announced on Friday that the LPGA postponed four uh, more events and, and canceled one. Uh, the Pelican Women's Championship, uh, has, which is in Florida, was originally scheduled for the middle of May. It's now moved to November. The ShopRite Classic. Uh, was uh, in the third week of May is now moved to the end of July when the um, when the um, Olympics would have been the Meyer LPGA Classic uh, is uh, was normally scheduled for June 11th uh, they're trying to find a date and the U.S. Women's Open has been moved from June clear out to December um, so uh, we do know that for a fact. That's what they. That's what they're changing the schedule for. Something that's near and dear to my heart is the uh, the Marathon Classic, which is normally around uh, the Fourth of July. Um, we don't know what they're going to do yet. They they're still up in the air. Uh, I would say that's probably it might happen. I don't know. I yeah, it's going to be right around that time that we're going to maybe able to get golf going again. Probably July, mid July. I don't know there's going to be much done in June, guys. Um, so maybe the Marathon Classic could get going. I just, you know, you mentioned the, the uh, Memorial earlier, Carlos, with an expanded field. I, I don't see any way they're going to be able to play the Memorial uh, at the, uh, you know, at the beginning of June. I just don't see that happening. So, um, but we do know that these, these have been scheduled, uh, re, you know, rescheduled, moved out, postponed, and we know those are, that's going on but there's a lot of stuff still up in the air. Definitely, and, and definitely we, we're saying this is all speculation because that's just plans that are until we really get a certain date that we're starting to see the curve flattening and then everybody can start saying, okay, let's start uh, restarting all this uh, scheduling. We, we certainly have to just keep an eye on it and keep reporting on, on that. And uh, now let's move on to uh, another team event, the President's Cup, which I don't know what's going to happen because if the Ryder Cup gets moved to next year, again, speculation again, because for now the Ryder Cup remains this year. So next year we already know one of the two captains that is going to be on the, in the President's Cup. And uh, we have to say that the President's Cup has played maybe a significant role on Trevor Immelman's career. Uh, that stands to reason that uh, taking on the role of a President's Cup captain is one of the most important things that Trevor Immelman has ever done in golf. Take a look at this. He's just 40 years old. He was introduced as the seventh man to lead the international team. And he's going to take the helm from his fellow South African uh, native Ernie Els. That's going to be the 14th edition next year for now. And again, for now, it's scheduled to be September of next year at Quell Hollow Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. He will be 41 then at that time of the competition, which will make him the youngest ever to serve as a captain. He will eclipse uh, Tiger Woods by two years. Tiger was uh, 43 when he led the U.S. to a comeback victory in December as a playing captain in Melbourne last year. Uh, Immelman made his President's Cup debut in 2005 
when he was uh, selected by his compatriot captain Gary Player, and uh, after that, definitely the arc of his career changed. Not in the President's Cup, but actually he then won the next year the Cialis Western Open, and two years later he captured the Masters for his lone major championship. So you can say like the actually that was like the peak that got him to to become a better player. Now, he we have to say he does not possess an extensive experience in the President's Cup, uh, which is what makes this a little bit, I don't know, difficult to see why, but he was really highly recommended by Ernie L. So reportedly he pushed hard for his fellow countrymen. Uh, and then email man said that, you know, sub, sub, uh, Filling in for Ernie's is going to be a massive responsibility and a little overwhelming. That's what he's saying. Uh, but before he served as an assistant in Royal Melbourne, he had only a record of one six and one. So it's not extensive. He has been only vice captain once. Uh, Fred, I'm going to go first to you and then to Kieran. But what's your take on the appointment right now of Trevor, Trevor Immelman as the next captain? for the internationals, he said that he mentioned he wants to continue that family approach of Ernie Els, but um, wow, I, I don't know about the experience, it's a little lacking there from him. Yeah, a little bit of a surprise actually, um, but you know, Golf Channel throws a lot of weight around, so um, you know, being, being an announcer on there, being an analyst or whatever, he got his name out there, you know, being with Ernie on the, being an assistant for Ernie, I'm sure that helped. Uh, and like you say, Ernie probably did lobby for him. So uh, I don't know. Um, Treble was really a very good player, very steady. Uh, injury really affected him over the last, uh, what, five years or so, and has not allowed him to perform at the level that he really is capable of performing. But um, yeah, I don't, where do you go though? Who, who would have, who would have been a better choice? Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, this President's Cup thing, uh, the international teams, they they really gave it a good go this last time down in Australia. Uh, came up a little bit short. Uh, and so maybe they showed there was a little bit of life there. You know, as these Asian players start playing better, uh, there's four or five Asian players playing right now that are, you know, long-term could be really good golfers. So they could really be hitting their stride here in a couple of years. And that might make a difference as well. We don't seem to be seeing the quality of golfers coming out of Australia that we used to see. And there's not any really good, I don't know, I, I, we haven't seen any really top South Africans come out. You know, yeah, we know about Charles Schwartzel and Brandon Grace and Louis Eusteisen and a couple other guys. But, um, you know, Asia seems to be producing the best golfers right now. And then you always have that, that language barrier thing on the on the uh, European on the uh, Presidents Cup International Presidents Cup team. So, is Treble Emerson the right guy? Is another South African the right guy? I can't tell you. I don't know. Um, evidently, somebody thought he was going to do a good job, and and I I think he's probably got the personality to do it. Uh, he knows golf. There's no question about that. He knows the players, so um, I, I'm sure it'll work out. I don't think they'll probably win again, um, but they, it would really be nice if the Europeans could, or the internationals could win uh, a President's Cup here before very long, because it, it's becoming a footnote if they don't start winning once in a while. 
Well, they made it interesting last year. Uh, Ernie really pushed them, and you can you can make a case that uh, the Americans had that sense of urgency on Sunday. They need oh. they knew they had to win. They had to put their their individual talent to play, which was what got them over the top at the end of the day. And we knew that they individually were better than internationals and that's what they got them the, the victory but really gave them it's a deeper, run for the money deeper that that's the thing yeah and yeah. uh the the thing now uh, i i i get it Emilman, <laughs> like you mentioned cbs uh and the golf channel uh the last few years has been uh splitting time between playing and uh being a commentator for for both channels uh but and he, he will be able to relate to the players. He's just going to be 41 years old. So he's not that far removed from being a player. He, he knows uh, the, the structure. Uh, he also served as a captain of the international team in the first junior president's cup that was in 2017. It's not the same thing, but at least he knows the young players that are coming up. Like you mentioned, there's some young players, especially from Asia, that are coming up and might become a great players in a couple of years, one, two years more. We don't know if it's for exactly is going to be played next year. So it, it could be, it could serve to him as a knowledge. Hey, I know these young players. Let's see if we can place them somehow to, to become even better next year, develop them and maybe, maybe do some better work than what they have been doing so far. But Kieran, uh, what's your take on Trevor Immelman? Do you think there should have been somebody else? Was it a surprise to you? Uh, what's your take on it? I think in the end, it, it's all about Ernie Els in this situation. If Ernie Els wanted to remain as captain, he would have been the captain. But he was very clear it was a one-and-done opportunity for him, which I think is actually unfortunate because I think Ernie Els was an inspirational figure at Royal Melbourne. I think he brought so much to that team. He brought that team together that really no one gave a chance before that week and they defied all expectations you know, led all through to the singles and obviously they were obliterated a little bit on the last day but until that point they couldn't really have done much better and at one stage in the first two days they almost looked like running away with it um so in terms of the captaincy part of it in terms of pairings and picking players and motivating players he did an absolutely exemplary job um and i think you look at previous President's Cup captains, it's tended to be a, a continuation. We saw Nick Price being a free-time captain, Greg Norman, uh, Gary Player, obviously Peter Thompson, the US did it, of course, with Fred Couples for several years, with guy, and Jack Nicholas, with guys who have done it time and time again. And Els, I thought, would, be, would have been that next figure to have maybe had two or three additions uh, to build up his team and build up his experience and build up his legacy in the President's Cup. But he was quite adamant one and done, that was it for him. So I think at that stage, it was who is going to succeed Ernie Els. And uh, I think Trevor Immelman being his right-hand man that week, uh, they worked very closely together. I remember those, you know, vaguely comic scenes of them all sitting behind the big screen blocking him and the Americans on one side, and they're all picking the pairings and announcing them all quietly. And for some reason, the um, the guy who was on the microphone, the, the, uh, the master of ceremonies, if you like, he couldn't understand the word that Ernie L said half the time. He kept having to say, what was that again? What did you say there? So, I don't know what happened there. So, Ernie, you can see Ernie was getting vaguely annoyed by that. He was getting a bit, you know, so I think that's probably what drove him away from it. It was just that guy not understanding what he was saying half the time. So, 
so no, I think at that point, Trevor Immelman is kind of Ernie's successor. Uh, he obviously is a young guy, very smart, speaks very well, very likable. Um, you know, obviously, as Fred touched on, has a was a very talented player, but career utterly in, blighted by injury. You know, winning the Masters and that was more or less it. After that point, he never really got a fair crack at it, unfortunately. So, and again, maybe Eric, Trevor, he's going to be the next guy to do two or three in a row. You know, build up that experience, build up uh, some kind of relationship with the players. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter who the captain is if the players aren't there. And as Fred touched on, it's all about the talent and the depth of talent the U.S. has is considerable. And that obviously played out on Sunday, in the final day there at Royal Melbourne. An international team, we saw Sun J.M., who of course has been a revelation this year on the PGA Tour. He was fantastic at Melbourne. He's a great signer for the future. And even Abraham Answer, who's a little bit older, but he was also fantastic at Melbourne as well. So they need more players like that. You know, they can't rely on Adam Scott or Jason Day or Aloyas Tyson. You know, they're fantastic players, but, you know, they're getting towards the latter period of their career at, at the top level. And you just don't see, you compare the young talent that the Americans have. You know, we mentioned two of the guys earlier who are going to be in the Masters this year, later in the season. You know, Colin Marikawa, Scotty Scheffler. You know, you have guys like that. You know, so young players in the U.S. have appear to be extremely impressive already and they have a next generation already appearing even though the current generation is also is very good so they have a, a, a seemingly conveyor belt of talent coming through all the time whereas for the internationals it's not quite there yet we're still waiting for that explosion of you know five or six truly world-class players from asia which we're surely due at some point and we've been talking about it now for well over a decade it must be coming and when it does that might change the landscape of this event. Um, but until then, it's very difficult to see them winning it. But that said, I think they did find something at Melbourne. They found a togetherness. They found a captain who was inspirational. But of course, they've lost that captain. And for Trevor Owen, you're filling Ernie Ellis' footsteps. And I know that Ernie is basically Trevor's hero. He grew up admiring him, as you'd expect. And to fill those footsteps, you know, that's a great honour for him. But it's a considerable challenge. Um, so, but it would be a challenge for anyone. But I do think the biggest loss for the international team in December wasn't just losing that match in the end. It was actually not having Ernie Els as captain for next time. Definitely. And uh, <clears throat> like you mentioned, I think at the end of the day, uh, Ernie will be there for him. Uh, he, can, he knows that he can go to Ernie, what you think about this. And uh, I'm sure that Ernie will play some part on the selection team or and helping somehow. He will not be at the forefront. He might not be even a vice captain, but I'm sure that Trevor is going to try to apply. He already said it. He's going to try to continue that family uh, feeling, which got that camaraderie going. And, and it's something that we have seen already on the Ryder Cup. That is what happens with the European tour players. They have that camaraderie and they just play together as a team and gets them to be that successful. So uh, we'll definitely see. So far, we know that a successor to Tiger has not yet been selected for the American team. We do know that it's believed that uh, Zach Johnson, who was one of the three captains, assistants to Tiger and Melbourne is the favorite so far. But we'll see what happens. I think they, they have to select someone soon because right now the international salad they have to give the chance to that captain to start 
uh, doing his job uh, on the American side. Uh, Fred, anything you want to quickly add before we close uh, this? No, no, I think we pretty well covered it, guys. A anyone you want to add, uh, anything you want to add, uh, Kieran, before we move to the next one? No, not, not, not at all. I see. I think it's obviously, again, as you touched on earlier, Carlos, you know, we don't know when this will actually happen. And of course, I mean, the President's Cup captaincy is at the bottom of everybody's considerations right now. Uh, but again, it's trying to plan for the future and the tour is trying to do that as best as they can. And having captains in place is another part of you know, looking to the future, which is obviously what we're all trying to do right now. Um, but I say, obviously, the impact of what happens with the Ryder Cup and, on, and all the majors this year, the Olympic Games, all this stuff will play into next year as well. So I say it's um, the chain reaction of 2020 will really you know, drift into the next year or two at least. And uh, I think that's going to be actually the biggest story from golf this year. It's not going to really, really be who wins the Ryder Cup or who wins the Masters in November. It's going to be more how does the tour, how is international golf and both the LPGA level and also the PGA Tour and men's game, how do they recalibrate themselves going forward? And just to quickly go back to the previous discussion earlier, one thing I want to mention was, I mean, we're getting to the stage where now we're such a truncated season with such few events on the schedule, especially on the LPGA Tour, but even on the PGA Tour, we're almost at the stage where if I was in charge, I would be looking to just end it. Just, it just, just nobody loses their tour card this year. Just keep everybody on the tour. If you're on the tour this year, you're on it next year. But if you think of the players who've qualified for the tour for 2020, they haven't been given a fair crack at it. Oh, um, it almost seems a little bit unfair to drop them off the tour at the end of the season and bring up guys on the, on the Challenge Tour or the Web.com Tour or the Corn Ferry Tour or the, the Sumatra Tour or the LET. They, have, they haven't played enough events to almost... You deserve to be going to progress to the PGA Tour or to the LPGA Tour. So I think we're almost at the stage of whatever happens this season, however many events we play, all tours, nobody at the end of the year, I don't think, should fall off the tour. We should just restart it uh, next season. And, you know, obviously, unprecedented circumstances, but I think it requires the action for that. And for fairness and for integrity, I think to give all the players as much of the, a fair crack at it as possible. We should just see how the year plays out and then everybody starts from the same level playing field uh, for next season. Because in the end, next season is probably going to be more important than this season in the way it's playing out right now. Definitely. Hey, <clears throat> Fred, I know you are dying to talk about this next subject. I mean, Tiger Woods, <laughs> Phil Mickelson, oh, God. playing with Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Uh, this is going to be a blockbuster TV made for TV uh, event. Uh, what is, what's your take on this uh, supposedly pairing that is going to happen? Well, you know, we weren't big fans of the uh, Phil versus Tiger deal before, and we didn't watch it. And they had a tremendous problem with with live streaming that, if you remember. Um, guys would pay, and they couldn't get it, and all this stuff. So um i these are just money grab deals and i'm not excited about it i love peyton manning i you know tom brady he's unbelievable as a football player and i guess he's a pretty good golfer so that's really good but bringing phil and tiger into these things i i'm just not a big fan of these things as you know and i probably won't be watching this one either i'm, I'm thinking Oh, man, you know, uh, Tom Brady already joined the Seminole Golf Club. I, I guess he's 
he's starting to 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 get ready for it. Uh, hey, Tampa Bay, there. Uh, he's gonna be uh, he's gonna be getting ready. What you they think? Let this, they you let watch? him in the seminal. I hadn't saw that. They let him in. Yeah, there. he did. Yeah, he joined. Well, he joined the club. It's not that he's playing, uh, but he he joined actually the 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 golf the the golf club. So he's moving into Derek Jeter's mansion in Tampa, and he has all, uh, also been reported, like we're saying, that he's going to have uh, this twist of a second match uh, featuring uh, Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning and, and Phil Mickelson. So we'll see. At least uh, I know that he has that new club to play on. So. Kieran, what's your take on this uh, before I go back to, to Fred? Well, just to kind of, you know, agree with Fred, you know, I detested everything about the $9 million match. I just hated everything that it represented. It was an abomination. It was horrendous. Everything about it, I just could not stand. That image of Phil Mickelson standing there with the $9 million and he was had his arms around it, no, it was grotesque, in fact. Um, that's all. Well, that's what it was. It was even more grotesque than Phil's hairline, and that is bad enough, by the way, because that is not looking very good whatsoever. But, um, you, know, you know, I'm going to change my tune on this one a little bit. Assuming the, the money in this particular case is for charity and they're raising money for your recovery from the coronavirus pandemic and things like that, um, you know, while it may not be my thing, if it does raise money for important causes and provides people with entertainment uh, during this time, then I'm willing, just for once, the only time oh to let goodness. my natural cynicism go to side and just say, go ahead, guys. I'm not going to watch it, <laughs> but I'm not going to get angry about it because I was, I was, you know, I was livid. I was seething with rage at watching the the match uh, a year and a bit ago now because that was just horrendous so anything that's charitable I'm all for but um, yeah I think I, I think I've still got some Netflix to watch that night so um, if you want to join me guys we'll <laughs> maybe watch some Better Call Saul which I absolutely love by the way great show Did you watch that there we, we can do a watch party on Facebook or something like that uh, right well, well we can do it on Zoom couldn't we we're all technically yeah. advanced now so here we are this is it we should make, actually, we should just do this every day. Just see each other every day now. This is it. So it's our breakfast together. We could just, yeah, social isolation, I guess. So. The best thing uh, to our listeners and to our viewers now is that this has been recorded. So what Kieran is saying, he has to back it up. <laughs> yeah, I will, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. He has to back it up now. So we'll see. But anyway, uh, I, I totally am not going to watch it. I don't see the... the I don't see anything positive about it. Only, I have to agree with you. If it's something that's going to be for charity and is going to help uh, on the recovery of all that happens here, uh, maybe of all the furlough workers or the ones that have been laid off, which has been really the big story here. Also, be, besides the deaths, of course, uh, of the coronavirus, is the, the unemployment really has been really, really bad. So if it's something to help that, Perfectly. Count me on. I, I'll even promote it for you. I won't watch it, but I'll promote it. I wouldn't go that far, but you know, we just. Yeah. No, I'll promote it. You know, it's for sharing. <laughs> anyway. Fair enough. Hey, now let's move on to the next topic, and it's about. <clears throat> we know that the the pandemic has uh, ordered some uh, three states already have a statewide lockdowns. Uh, so let's talk about golf courses. Should they be closed? 
Uh, we touched a little bit about it uh, at the beginning of the of the show, but now let's go a little bit deeper. We have a news about a course in Connecticut that closed because it was overcrowded. Uh, despite uh, the state giving him the okay, giving it the okay to, to be open, but people just rush to it. Um, you really don't want to be that course that is going to be uh, the one that's uh, being causing issues because the state uh, association is imploring the, the courses right now to obey those distancing rules, uh, social distancing. That's the two words of, of this year. Uh, more states reopening golf courses is a, uh, an approved uh, activity. Uh, the Alabama governor uh, is reopening golf courses. Uh, we've already talked about the economic impact of the golf courses and not only uh, recreationally, but we have talked about what is the impact that is happening right now with the, the tour events that, ha that have been canceled. A lot of uh, those courses were counting on that income that comes by having a tour event there. And not only the tour event, uh, not only the golf courses, but the charities as well, a big impact. They were counting on that money this year to maybe keep working, keeping the lights on, basically. Um, uh, I'm gonna start with you on this one, Karen. What's your, your take, uh, not only there, but here, anywhere, should golf courses be closed? And if not, I mean, what's your take on what should be done and uh, what you think about also the impact so far on those closures of, uh, of the golf courses? Well, I think that's, the, really the, you talk about the PGA Tour, how it's going to affect the Open Championship or the Ryder Cup or the Masters. In the end, those things will still go ahead and, and at some point they will still survive. But it is about the regular golf courses. How will this affect their industry, their income? Um, and that, that's a bigger question for the golf industry as a whole in every country. And I say lockdowns have been widespread across Europe with regards to golf courses. Um, certain countries have actually you know, lessened those. I think Sweden's one nation, Denmark is another one who have done so. But the vast majority of golf courses across the continent of Europe uh, are closed. And some people are defying that to a very tiny minority, but most people are staying away from them as they're being told to. Obviously in the US, it's very much a state by state thing. Um, it's a very difficult question. and. Ultimately, because in theory, if you were playing golf, let's say, for example, Fred was playing golf with his wife, two of them, they lived together, they went out together, didn't see anybody else, they played on just by themselves, and they didn't go, anywhere near, no, didn't go near anyone else while playing. In reality, are they doing anything wrong? Probably not. Will they be safe? They probably will be. There certainly won't be any more risk of catching the infection than if you were to go out for a walk or, or go out for a jog or a cycle anywhere. But um, I think the argument would be, as you saw in this particular case, is that if you open it up, suddenly people will flood to it and then it becomes overcrowded, becomes difficult to manage because first of all, you're putting all those golfers at risk, but you're also putting the, the people that work at the golf course at risk, people who'd have to be there to manage it, to manage who's playing and ensuring that they go out in a sequence of maybe two two balls only and they keep their distance. So you're putting the staff at risk as well as the players and the golfers themselves. Um, so I, it's a very difficult thing to answer because I, I can only really talk from the perspective of what we have here in the UK and in Europe, which is all golf courses are closed. And of course, some people do object to that and they're frustrated by it. 
But ultimately, the message really should be is we're all disappointed that we can't play, but a round of golf is not more important than your life or the life of somebody that you know and that you well, love. You might, want to, you might want to speak for yourself there, Karen. I don't know. I, my, my golf's pretty important. Well, it's, um, so it's, yeah, so I think it's a difficult one to answer because it is very much about, you know, different states of different rules in place. I think people can be safe while playing golf in certain circumstances, but what I wouldn't, what I would say to people is, if you are told you shouldn't go to the golf course, then I think you should just accept that. And yeah, it's disappointing, it's frustrating, uh, but it's, it's there, it's done for a reason. Uh, and the sooner we all follow the regulations and we all apply social distancing, and in some cases, lockdown mode, the sooner we all follow those rules, then the sooner things will be reopened norm as normal. But also beyond that, if people are back playing golf, uh, then other activities will wonder why, why, why they can't be open. And you start opening up, uh, you know, a, a hornet's nest, if you like. You start poking the bear, and suddenly everybody starts thinking they should be able to go and do their activity, their sport. Um, so in some ways, the simplicity of actually the shutting everything down is welcome because we all know where we stand. Having various states having different rules, that becomes contentious because people wondering why they can't go out and play. And that drives frustration, obviously, and that's a difficult thing to handle. So it's a very difficult question to answer, Carlos, because, it, but again, what I would say is it's around the golf. It's, it's not more important than your life. Despite what Fred thinks, it's not more important in your life. You have to go out and play. You have to stay away and um, you'll, look, you'll be safe. That's the most important thing because golf will return and that will be a magical day. You know, when golf courses are reopened again and we all go out and play. I mean, I'm, it's a day that we're all holding on to here. Um, so it's, again, we're dealing with really unprecedented circumstances. A, a discussion that we, we, we wanted to be here today, obviously talking about the Masters, building up for the Masters, but talking about very different things about golf potentially shutting down at all levels uh, at the height at the beginning of the season and that's something that nobody ever wanted to discuss but ultimately people's lives and the safety of, of families of your friends of the health workers everybody concerned is obviously paramount and that's that, that trumps everything um, so I, I don't know the answer I don't think there is an answer I think it's very much a case of we'll see how it develops follow the guidelines if you are told the courses are closed and you should, you should stay away from them then do that because the greater good for yourself for everybody around you for society you should follow those guidelines but obviously you know if golf courses can be opened up sooner rather than later but only when it's safely that's ultimately the key thing we, we, we want golf to reopen and be as normal as possible but only when it's safe safe to do so and we have to really defer and trust the experts on that because they're the ones who know what to do or, or study that they have far more knowledge than we have. We're only guessing. Um, but just, you know, if you, if you were somebody who was, you are able to play golf at this point, again, do follow social distancing. Be very careful what you touch. You know, of course, wash your hands. Potentially wear face masks. Your friend's selling them online right now, I believe. He's giving them away. So, I mean, you've got to you know, follow that. If you do that, then you should be okay. But ultimately, follow regulations. And hopefully, if, you do, if we all do that, then we can get back to normality sooner rather than later. Uh, you, you bring up a point about um, if courses start opening and start playing, uh, that some other uh, people are going to say, I want to play my sport as well. 
But yeah. one thing that is very important to note is that golf, just like it has happened so far, and Fern and I have been talking about the past few weeks, uh, there's a couple of minor tours here in the States that are yes. uh, successfully <clears throat> holding, still holding tournaments. They're doing their social distancing during it. They're taking precautions on the course not to affect the players and the, the, the groundskeepers and the course employees. <clears throat> and I think that's something that the sport of golf can offer that maybe basketball cannot. Basketball usually is a five or five or three and three. So you, and you have, it's a contact sport basically because they, there has to be close to it. Mm -hmm. Don't even talk about it. Uh, hockey also as well. So there's a lot of other team sports that is very difficult for them to start being uh, open to, to be played because of the nature of, of the way that they're playing. Maybe tennis, which is something that people are separated usually, or as individual sports, it would be a little more easier for, for them to reopen themselves and, and, and not affect as much. I understand that I'm with you. Uh, nothing is more precious in your life. You only have it once. You cannot replace that. Uh, you can replace your money eventually, uh, I know, Fred, for you, it's uh, hit home because classes for you uh, is more difficult now because you, you don't have where to, where to give them. So it's actually hitting you very hard. And uh, what's your take right now? I mean, how is it going for you? How you see the courses there? Should they be closed? Should they be open? Or how about the impact of it? Yeah, the problem is, guys, um, we made the decision to leave Toledo and come up here to Cadillac, which is in northern Michigan. And so there's a lot less population here, a lot less people traveling in and out, uh, especially since they've shut everything down, which this is a, a high vacation area or a tourist area pretty much 12 months a year. They snowmobile and ski in the wintertime. They play golf and fish uh, and hike in the summertime. Um, so, but we decided to come up here because there was, you know, less people. And um, so we've had in Wexford County, which Cadillac is in, I think they've had two cases, uh, no deaths. In the neighboring county, in Missaukee County, they've had one case and one death. And that gentleman had been traveling um, and he brought it in with him. But nobody else has gotten it uh, in either county uh, at this point. So here we're a good three weeks in, and we're really not experiencing any problem here. We've got beautiful weather. The golf courses are there. People could go out and play and stay away from each other. You don't have to pull the pin. You know, you can, you can put a noodle in or you can cover the hole and just putt up to it or whatever. Um, but it, it's not gonna be very life-threatening right now to go out and play some golf. Now, I will preface that by saying that as you move downstate and you get to Grand Rapids and you get to Lansing and you get to Ann Arbor and you get to Detroit, where there's a lot more people, then it would create a problem because you would have people just jumping on the golf courses and it would be more difficult to keep people apart. Uh, in Ohio, I know a golf course that's open, uh, only two people are allowed in the pro shop. Uh, they have tape on the floor that's six feet away from the counter. Um, so the, the second person that's in the clubhouse has to stay behind that line while the one person is up 
uh, paying their green fees or doing whatever they're doing, and then they get out and somebody else can come in and stand behind the tape. Um, they're putting people, just one person to a cart. If you want to take a cart, you can obviously walk, stay away from people. If you do that, you want to take a, a pull cart or just carry your bag, that's fine. I know a lot of guys are just playing nine holes because then they can walk and carry and still get their exercise and not bother anybody. But the problem is the different states. So like Indiana, Ohio are playing, Michigan is not, Wisconsin is not. And um, for golf course owners, it's a problem because up here and, and being from Scotland, Karen, I know you know this, but uh, up here, the golf season is five and a half months long uh, kind of at best. And that's, so these guys all crowd in here. They take their buddies golf trips. They come up here with their families, whatever, from, you know, from May 1 until uh, mid-September. Uh, and uh, after that, it's, you know, it's, it can be pretty dicey at a lot of places. And so for an owner to lose a week or two weeks or a month, that's a lot of income for them. And a lot of these places were maybe, teetering on the edge anyhow or struggling to make it year to year, this might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. So, um, and just a couple of humorous stories before I jump off here. Uh, uh, golf course in Connecticut, uh, golf was okay. Uh, well, well, Connecticut was leaving courses open and uh, one course was getting so much play, they were getting too crowded. It was a municipal course, and so they just decided it was too dangerous, so they closed down because they were getting too much play, which is amazing to me. And then in another state, Rhode Island, their golf courses are open, uh, but for Rhode Island residents only. So some guys from Massachusetts who were on the border decided they wanted to play golf. They drove over to Rhode Island, get on the golf course, play golf. They get arrested and fined for coming across the state line to play golf. Um, so, I mean, there are some humorous stories in this thing. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, they were they were open, then they were closed, then they were open again, and now they're closed again. Um, so it's, it, it, a lot of these situations are fluid and they're changing every day. In Ohio, they had a problem with uh, the, the governor said it was okay. Well, then the uh, one of the county boards of health said, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have these golf courses open. Well, about two days later, there was enough pressure brought on this county board of health, and they, so they changed their whole whole tune and so the state board they'll said no golf it's okay as long as you follow the rules uh we're, we're not going to bother you so and it's your point it's it's different in different places and it, and it creates a problem in itself so yeah i i i'm sitting here now in michigan if i were in ohio i could be playing a little bit but uh sitting up here i'm away from people and i'm I got a very low chance of uh, contracting this thing so maybe i'm just well off and i can wait another couple of weeks to play some golf you know, the advantage that you have right now is because uh, there's little chance of, uh, because of the stats that you're mentioning, but I also see that like it happened to the Connecticut uh, golf course, if they start opening the golf courses up there, you're going to see an influx of people going there. And then, you know, that chance is going to rise up very, very fast. But anyway, uh, yeah, one of one of the places where uh, golf uh, golfers are still strolling the courses is Pinehurst, uh, but the resort properties are largely shuttered right now. So they have roughly 1,000 of their normal 1,500-person workfo workforce have been laid off. So that that is two thirds of their workforce that is out of of a job. When that happened, a light bulb boom 
<laughs> went off on the brain of Tom Pashley, who is the president of the Pinehurst uh, Resort and Country Club. He asked, what? what if we hold an auction of once-in-a-lifetime golf experiences for people to bid on? Next thing you know, the bids started rolling in. Large bids for big experiences, but smaller ones too. I mean, by the time the auction ended, nearly $300,000 had been raised. Money that will be put to work. Pashley said that uh, they're going to continue to pay both the employee and the employer's portion of the health insurance through the end of May, at least. Uh, and also, they're going to be providing weekly care packages for the folks that includes some food and essentials, which is really at a premium right now anywhere that you go. So what the we know what the 1,000 employees need the most right now is their jobs back. But absent of that, the immediate, this auction and its proceeds will help. At least that's what we hope anyways. So uh, Fred, what's your take on this, uh, the Pinehurst system? Oh, just applaud the people of Pinehurst. It's, it's such a wonderful place down there. Uh, have, uh, we were in there last spring for a few days and uh, just love it there. And uh, the people are all great. Um, yeah, I, to raise $300,000 from this auction, uh, that's just outstanding. And, and I know employers are trying everything they can possibly do to keep key employees covered uh, with insurance and paying them something. Um, some of these programs that are out to provide funds, uh, that money is not coming through. I know they said it was going to, but nobody's seen that stuff yet. Uh, so applaud all the employers' efforts to keep people working as much as possible. If this thing doesn't uh, wrap up here in about another three or four weeks, uh, it's going to get really tight because people are not going to have any money. Um, and so how do you get food? How do you, how do you get the stuff you need? Um, it, it's going to be real, real tragic if we don't get going here pretty soon. Uh, and small businesses who have been devastated by this, it's going to take them a little bit of time to turn around too. So, but back to Pinehurst, really applaud them for the things that they're doing, trying to uh, raise that money. What do you think, Gary? Yes, I mean, obviously with this whole discussion, I mean, there's two aspects to the, the pandemic. You know, obviously the most, the first one, the primary one is, of course, the impact it can have on people's lives in terms of their health and obviously the people that it could potentially kill. Uh, and then the second part of it is, of course, the economic ramifications of the virus and the pandemic. And that's going to be the more longer term thing that will potentially take years to recover from and it might lead to some very deep societal changes um, you know the, re the relationship people have with their employers and obviously with the state governments not only the federal government as well in the US and how it will act in, in the coming months and years to potentially support small businesses to get them back on their feet and I can relate it to what we're seeing in the, the in the UK at the moment where the UK government has brought in this furloughing scheme, as they call it, where the UK government will pay 80% of the, the wages of any worker uh, for a certain amount of time. At the moment, it's till the end of May, and it could potentially be extended. Obviously, a, an unbelievable sum of money uh, to do that. Uh, but that's a way to ensure people do not lose their jobs. But of course, here, it's a little bit different because in the US, of course, so many people, their health insurance is tied to their employment. Whereas, of course, in the UK, we have a national health service where it's there for everybody as it is. So it's a different environment, different economic situation, different setup. 
um, they probably both have their benefits and their negatives and I think certainly both aspects of that are being tested by this most uh, incredible crisis that we're seeing right now. So obviously anything that, that supports the workers at Pinehurst is a, is a fantastic thing. Everyone needs every support they can get right now. Um, but as Fred touched on, I mean, this thing isn't going to go away in a couple of weeks. I mean, we're going to be in this situation for potentially into the summer. Um, and then the impact of that will go on for years. So it's, but of course, for so many businesses, the short term is what they have to survive. They're going week to week, month to month at the best of times. So, I mean, the impact of this is going to be huge. I mean, it is almost, it almost seems a little bit trivial that we're here talking about golf because it's obviously a minor thing in the grand scheme of things, but it's all connected. And of course, the most important thing is the golf industry and the venues like Pinehurst and the employees they have, the income that Pinehurst Resort brings to that community and that part of the country is massive and all venues like it. So it's you know, protecting golf courses and protecting venues and resorts is also protecting lives and maintaining livelihoods, protecting health as well. And we're seeing all these things tested, all these assumptions, assumptions we've had about how uh, we kind of uh, lead, our, lead our lives and how we run our lives and they're all being tested by this. Um, so it's, yeah, it's obviously I applaud anything that supports the workers at Pinehurst and any other venue across the US. But I say it's um, there will be some very hard questions to answer for a lot of people uh, in the weeks and months ahead because we're going to be everything. What we really know as normal is being tested beyond any limit that we've ever had uh, in living memory. So it's um, ultimately lives the most important thing initially, but it's the recovery from that. And hopefully, you know, I do think we're going to see a huge rebound effect in the golf industry once golf reopens fully. People are going to be so keen to go out and play, go out there and visit Pinehurst, visit resorts across the country, go, go on their buddy trips, go on their family breaks, uh, play golf themselves, go and play at the local public course, all this stuff. I, you'll, the day that golf reopens fully will be a magical day. Everywhere will be absolutely busy and packed and celebratory. Uh, we, will, we will see a, re, a rebound effect economically, but it's just ensuring that we get to that stage with enough of our venues still healthy, still in a workable position. And that's only going to be determined by the length of this crisis. Uh, of course, there's two things. I mean, you, obviously the, the impulse is there to try and get things back to normal quickly. But as the experts say, if you do that too fast, then more people will get sick and that will put more pressure on your economy anyway. So it's, um, there's no easy answer to this whatsoever. And that's why I, you know, I'm always hesitant to criticize anyone who's in a position of power because, right now because Whatever they do, you know, they're, they're damned if they do, damned if they don't, because there's no easy answer for all this, all, all the top level, top to bottom. It's just a, such a difficult thing to handle. And, but I say golf will reopen, Pinehurst will reopen, those workers will get their jobs back and they'll be working there again. And that'll be a special day for everyone. And I think holding on to that, we will get back to that position at some point, hopefully sooner rather than later. That's the thing that's going to get us through this is just the hope that, yeah, it's a scary time, a worrying time, an anxious time, uncertain time. But the certainty is, the one thing that isn't, is certain is that it will be over at some point. We will get back to things. And that's what's keeping me going. I'm sure it's keeping you guys going as well and everyone who's listening and watching. Yeah, the hope to get back to normal is what we have that there. And that's what I'm aspiring for and looking forward to. And uh, I say it will be a... Uh, It'll be a magical day when it comes. Definitely. We wish it's going to be on the sooner 
rather than indeed the yes we have to tip our hats even though we have don't have one right now to all the the companies that are uh, and organizations that are doing those strategies to help the workers uh, maintain some kind of of income or something that will help them I know it's tough, uh, but we'll get through it. I know it sounds like a cliche already, but we'll get through it together. That's the only way that we can do that. And uh, Fred, let's uh, start with you before we close the show. Any final thoughts uh, before we close it? No, just uh, great doing this thing for uh, seven years with you guys. Looking forward to uh, the next seven. So, um the new uh, Ohio Golf Journal will be coming out. Um, I don't know if we're going to get it out tomorrow or not. Uh, got some problems with the designer, so it might be Thursday before that hits the – it's supposed to be out tomorrow, but it might be Thursday before we get it out. Um, also, this is going to – so we're on Roku. We're at back9report.com, and we're also on back9tv. Back 90 Report TV on YouTube. So hope everybody checks those things out. And uh, we're going to maybe do some more of this Zoom stuff in the future. And uh, uh, they'll have to look at our ugly mugs, Carlos. All right. Keep yourself, Fred. <laughs> Any closing uh, uh, Karen? Well, first of all, I'm overwhelmed by Fred's media empire continuing to take over the landscape there with its uh, on YouTube now. And oh my goodness, he's taken over the world, that guy all from his room there in Michigan, hidden away from so, Again, I mean, I think it's important that we try and retain normality as much as possible uh, throughout this crisis. We still have golf, we still have the the people we know in golf and the, the memories and what we hope to have in the future. And that keeps us going. So having this chance to sit with you guys tonight, obviously it's probably the most unusual show we've ever done. Firstly, because of the, the Zoom aspect of it, of course, wonderful technology. And uh, but beyond that, of course, just the wider situation. It is unique. It is distinctive. I mean, of, of seven years of shows, this is one that I think will always stand out because of the situation that we're in now. And but I, as I said earlier, I mean, Hopefully, we all learn from what's happened uh, this year. And this year will be forever, forever a footnote in the world because of it's affected everybody internationally. But I hope we all you know, think about where we all are in society, how we, how we relate to others, how we are connected to everybody. Uh, I think these days, we have a, some of us are a little bit too self-absorbed in the social media age. And I think we almost forget what's actually important. And hopefully, this is brought that to the forefront and that we're all in this together and how your actions can affect somebody else and I hope that once this is all said and done we come out of it with a different perspective and and ultimately we learn from we take the lessons from this and we ensure that it never happens again um, to this extent and that could take you know years and you know, much, much government uh, stuff as well and beyond does but I think everybody in their own way can contribute First of all, making sure we get through this pandemic as soon as possible and as well as possible, most importantly. But then the aftermath of that, we make the most of the, the opportunity we have of getting back to normal. And that will certainly be the case in golf, whether that's going to be the Masters in November or just getting back out on the golf course. I say that day will come and I hope to be here with you two and there to uh, celebrate it. So thank you as always 
gentlemen for having me this evening or this morning. It's now past 3 a.m. here in St Andrews, uh, the home of golf. And um, but I wouldn't, uh, you know, wasn't well, necessarily true. I can think of other people I would rather spend 3 a.m. with, but that's not possible right now. But you two are here, and you two will do. So thank you for having me. Well, it's been our pleasure as usual to have you with us. Uh, hopefully we can do, do this sooner rather than later again. Uh, Back Niners, that wraps up another week of the Back Nine Report, a very special one, our seven-year anniversary. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest in the world of golf. Special thanks again, Kieran. You always upgrade our show anytime that you're here, so thank you for being with us. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Block Talk Radio. I have to change this line now. It's uh, Block Talk Radio. Seven I years, yes. Tune in, Roku TV, YouTube TV, wherever the media mogul Fred uh, Alvader gets us in, that's where we're going to be. Uh, and if you haven't done so, hey, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back 9 Report with the number 9 in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Alvader and Kieran Clark. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody. Until next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.